Well, good morning, church, and uh, happy Thon weekend. I know that uh, a lot of you guys were out there at the BJC over the course of this last weekend. So if you hear a little snoring or you see a little drooling coming from your neighbor next to you, I give you permission. Just like just jab them right in the side. Just, uh, just a little Holy Spirit jab and wake them up. And uh, we'd love for you to do that. And uh, let's continue to remember our ACF-thon dancers. And I know that for some of you who are part of different campus ministries, you've got your own thon dancers out on the dance floor as they approach these final hours here today. Let's continue to remember them in our prayers and uh, support them that way. But um, glad you're here. We're continuing on in our series, The Kingdom Way, which is a study on the Sermon on the Mount. And believe it or not, we are two-thirds of the way through the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon that Jesus preached spans across three full chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we started the series in August, believe it or not. We started the series in August, and we're still trucking along. And so far, we've completed chapters 5 and 6. We've fully unpacked chapters 5 and 6. Six. Well, I lied. We didn't fully unpack chapter six. We we missed a week, the snow day, and uh, and so we didn't talk about the portion where Jesus talks about fasting. And uh, I'm not a big faster, okay? So I felt like, you know what? Snow day has actually worked out by the grace of God. You know, I, I can't preach on something I have no authority on. And so, uh, but but we did miss that one piece of the Sermon on the Mount, but we covered a, a, a huge portion, two-thirds of Jesus' sermon on the Mount. And now we begin our final journey, the final descent, if you will, into chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there now to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to spend some time looking at this text here. Uh, can we have some volunteers? If you, have, if you don't uh, have a Bible here today, you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and uh, we'll get a Bible to you. We'll get one of these hardback Bibles to you. And uh, we'll also put the text up here on the screen for you to look along as well. We're going to start at the very top of Matthew 7. And we're just going to look at six verses today. Matthew 7, verse 1, and carry it through all the way to verse 6. And uh, I'd like to spend some time... Uh, looking at what Jesus has to say, not just to the people of antiquity during his time, but I believe Jesus has a word for us here today. And so Matthew 7, meet me at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. Hear the word of the Lord. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Verse 5, he goes on and he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now today, Jesus tackles a sort of hot topic, if you will. Particularly given our cultural climate, given our societal climate, he addresses the issue of judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. Everyone's favorite topic, right? Judgmentalism. You know, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that when we look out at the world we live in today, it seems as though, I don't know if you, if you kind of resonate with this, it seems as though the greatest sin anyone can commit 
Which, by, by the way, is a bit ironic considering that most of, most of the people that live today wouldn't even readily embrace the notion of sin in the first place. But nonetheless, they would identify the greatest unforgivable sin that you can possibly commit is judging someone. It's judging someone. Thou shalt not judge is at the top of the list of the commandments held by our society today. Which, interestingly enough, is not even part of the original Ten Commandments. But thou shalt not judge. We, we have adopted that as our cultural commandment that we live by. And yet, here's the great irony, church. We judge all the time. Every single one of us. We judge all the time. Let me, let me give you an example here. I'm going to show you an image here in just a moment that has, that has charged people emotionally in some abnormal show this image here real quick. This little piece of apparel has ruffled more feathers in recent days than probably anything else. Depending on which side of the political aisle you fall, when you see someone wearing this hat, maybe your immediate response is to judge them. Oh, you're, you're one of those. You're one of them. And, and the, the same goes on the other side of the aisle. Where the, 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 the people who are wearing this hat look at the world outside of them and they say, oh, you're, you're one of those, you're one of them. You see, judgment that is cast is often two-sided. We see this all the time on social media, on different uh, article threads where someone casts a stone, right? They, 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 they blindly just type something, they click post and a stone is cast. And then another person logs on and they respond by casting another stone. And before you know it, you've got a full common thread of people casting judgment left and right. Let me give you another example. How many of you know the Christian artist Lauren Daigle? Lauren Daigle, right? Like, um, she is uh, she's a Christian artist. She's written several songs, won Grammys and all kinds of stuff. She, um, we sing some of her songs here in church. Well, not too long ago, Lord Daigle was, was, was catching some major flack for, for performing on, on particular secular platforms like The Ellen Show and Jimmy Fallon. And, and, and there were all kinds of criticisms being thrown uh, Lauren's way. And she was receiving comments like, she shouldn't be doing shows like this as a Christian artist. What is she doing? Some people were even questioning the validity of her Christian faith. Is she even a Christian anymore? I mean, has she lost her faith? And most of these comments were coming from fellow Christians. In fact, Christians in particular get a pretty bad rap when it comes to judgmentalism. In fact, one of the most common words that's used by non-Christians to describe Christians is the word judgmental. Maybe for you, you came to know the Lord later in life, and one of the biggest hurdles that you had to get over was not Jesus, not the supremacy of Christ. It was Christians. It was like, I don't want to be categorized with these types of people, these judgmental types of people. Christians have this reputation of judging people and looking down on people who hold a different set of beliefs or values. Now listen, I'm not saying you do that. I'm just saying that is often how the world sees us, which is fascinating to me, that the followers of Jesus would be categorized as some of the most judgmental people on the planet when it was Jesus himself who said, do not judge. Where's the disconnect? But do you know that Christians aren't the only ones with this judgmental problem? Judgmentalism is all around us. 
Folks, we are a judgy society. We are a judgy people. Listen, even the folks who beat the drum of, thou shalt not judge, you don't ju do not judge, do not judge, they are quick to judge those who judge. I mean, you need to explain that. I mean, we are, it, it, is, it is in us, we can't help it. This tendency to judge people is deeply embedded within every single one of us. And folks, let me just say, I don't think the answer to the cure of judgmentalism is to just keep banging that drum of, don't judge, stop judging, don't judge. After all, we know we shouldn't be judging. We are a society that upholds this mantra, thou shalt not judge. And so then the question becomes, what's the alternative then? If we are not to judge, if we're not to be a judgmental people, what's the alternative? Do you wanna know how our culture has answered that question thus far? The alternative to judgmentalism based on our cultural understanding is tolerance. It's tolerance, right? You are not to judge anyone or anything. Rather, you are simply to tolerate everyone and everything. We've bought into that. We've heard that before. But you see, the problem is when you tolerate everything, you actually stand for nothing. When everything becomes good, when everything becomes okay, when everything becomes acceptable, there's no distinction of right and wrong, and a society, hear me, that has no basis for right and wrong becomes a frightening society to be a part of. Now, I know we live, we live in, a, you know, in an age where there is no absolute truth, there is no absolute morality, no right or wrong. Your right is your right, my right is mine. Your wrong is your wrong. Right, and, and I understand that, but understand this society, a society that has no basis for right or wrong becomes a scary society to be a part of. In fact, I saw not too long ago an article online, maybe you saw this as well popping up somewhere in your newsfeed, this argument being made that pedophilia is actually a sexual orientation that our society should learn to embrace and accept. I'm sorry, what? Pedophilia is to be a sexual orientation that is readily embraced by the general public just as much as any other sexual orientation would be readily embraced by our society. Now listen, when I hear stories like that, I say to myself, my goodness, there has to be a better alternative. There has to be a better alternative to judgmentalism than just a universal tolerance of all things. Surely tolerance cannot be the best solution and the best alternative to judgmentalism. Now, church, don't mishear me. Please don't mishear me. I am not saying that we should be intolerant, closed-minded, hate-filled, bigoted people. I am not about that. Jesus was never about that. In fact, you look at the life of Jesus, you would never describe Jesus in the Gospels as hate-filled, bigoted, narrow-minded, closed-minded, intolerant person. You wouldn't say that about Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is there has to be a better alternative to judgmentalism than just this blanket universal tolerance of all things. And that's where I think Jesus offers us a new and better way, a kingdom way. See, I believe the new and better way, this kingdom way, is the way of restoration. You see, I think that's a far better alternative to judgmentalism than just tolerance. 
The better alternative to ju judgmentalism, better than tolerance, is restoration. And so, yes, we are not to be a judgmental people, and we are not to simply be a tolerance people. We are called to be much more as the people of God. We are to be a restorative people. Now, I don't know if you caught this in today's passage, but notice Jesus uses this illustration of a speck of dust as compared to a log. By the way, this speck and log, uh, you know, just, just if you want, if you're wondering, can be a reference to many different things that, that scholars have, have kind of come up with. It can, the, the speck or log can refer to a character flaw, which every single one of us, I don't care how perfect you think you are, you've got some character flaws if you're honest with yourself. It, it can refer to a character flaw, a personal fault, or, or a, a, some kind of failure or shortcoming in your life. It can refer to a blatant sin, in your life, the speck of dust as sin or this log as sin. But here's the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is don't judge people for their sins. Rather, restore them from their sins. Don't judge people for their failures or shortcomings. Rather, as the people of God, we are to restore them from their shortcomings and failures. Notice that Jesus never says that we shouldn't take the speck. He doesn't say, don't judge. Don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, that, that's not the message of Jesus. In fact, in verse 5, he shows us how to best take the speck out of a brother's eye. He says, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, the heart of Christ is to actually take the speck out of our eyes. Listen, church, you've got to understand the heart of God here. The heart of God is for restoration, not condemnation. It is for restoration, not condemnation. You see, that's the problem with judgment. Judgment ends with condemnation. Judgment simply condemns without any hope for restoration. And so condemnation becomes the final word when it comes to judgment. But Jesus brings a different kind of final word. His final word is a word of restoration, not condemnation. Jesus is far more concerned with restoring than condemning, which is why Jesus says, judge not, and I want you to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Restore, restore. And as people in the kingdom way, we are to be a restorative people. And so with that in mind, I want to give you some practical ways we can live as restorative people with the time that we have left here this morning. Number one, restorative people see their own need for restoration. Restorative people see their own need for restoration. I love the way that Jesus uses this speck and log illustration. He begins by showing the ridiculous nature of a person who fails to see their own need for restoration. He puts it this way. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I mean, can you just take a moment here and just picture with me the ridiculousness of this for just a minute? I mean, can you imagine someone walking around with a, a log in there? I know Jesus is using a metaphor, but he uses a metaphor to get us to paint a picture in our heads, right? So just paint this picture in your head. Imagine someone walking down Pollock Road with a log in their eye, and they have no clue that this thing is there. 
Look, I mean, it's one thing to have a little food on your chin or to have a little piece of your lunch on your face and you not knowing that it's there, right? Like, and even that, you try to play it off cool. Like, oh, I'll just save that for later, you know? So, you know, that's it. You try to play it off cool. But listen, there is no such thing as playing it cool when it comes to walking around with a log in your eye. And Jesus' whole point is this. How do you not notice that? How do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? And the answer is quite simple when you stop and think about it. Oftentimes, we're unaware of our own log because we're so focused on the speck in someone else's eye. We're so focused on how other people need to change, how other people need to repent, how other people need to go to God, how other people have issues that they need to work on, how other people have flaws and dysfunctions and failures and shortcomings. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say after one of my messages, oh, Dan, your, your message was so spot on. So good. I just wish so-and-so were here to hear it. You know, your message is so good. Like, oh, man, I wish my roommate was here. I wish my friend was here to hear it, which is basically their way of saying, me? Pastor, I'm good. I'm good. You know, like, I got no issues. I don't really have issues. And if I do, if I do, they're not nearly as bad as so-and-so's. You know, like, you have seen my roommate? Like, the brother's got issues. You got to talk to the guy. You got to meet with him. So and so has issues. And this is, I think, where Jesus would say, Do you not notice? How do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? See, here's the real kicker about judgmentalism judgmentalism has a blinding effect on our lives, it's just natural. Has a blinding effect on our lives. It becomes really hard to see our own shortcomings when all we're focused on is everyone else's shortcomings. We become blind to our own need for restoration. Now, I think one of the main reasons why we often fail to see our own need for restoration, there are a lot of reasons, like pride and, and, and a lack of self-awareness and all those things. And, and, but, but I think part of it is actually embedded right here in this passage in verse 2. Did you catch verse 2? Jesus talks about this conditional judgment here. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now look, this isn't the first time Jesus says something to this effect. He says elsewhere, even in this same sermon, things like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? The golden rule, which we're actually going to look at together in just a couple of weeks. Or when he says, forgive others... And your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. He said that after teaching us the Lord's Prayer, just in the last chapter. Now let me just clarify something here. This might sound a little unsettling for some of us. We might hear the words of Jesus here. We're like, this seems to go against the grain of what I've been taught about the love of God. Like God's love is unconditional. Right? Like, no, no matter how badly I screwed up, God still loves me and embraces me. And so we hear words like this and we're like, I, I don't really know what to do with this. And friends, trust me, I, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm with you. I'm in that same boat. I read the words of Jesus here. I'm like, Jesus, could you have said something a little easier to process and digest? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with this. Listen, here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. God's love and acceptance does not hinge on our actions and our decisions. It doesn't. God loves us no matter what. And that's the whole point. You 
see, if we truly understood just how much God loves us and how much God has forgiven us, it would change the very nature and the fabric of our hearts. So much so that forgiveness would be a natural overflow. Extending grace to others would be instinctual. Love and mercy towards others would be like second nature. When your heart is transformed by the love of God. And Jesus is saying, now when you pronounce judgment on someone and you fail to notice the log in your own eye, people of God, it may be possible and even probable that your heart has not been changed by the love of God in the first place. And if your heart has not been changed, you are actually liable to the same judgment that you are casting upon others. See, when our hearts are changed by God, we realize just how deeply God's love reaches down into our depravity. And so consequently, restored people see their own need for restoration. Number two, restored people deal with their junk before their junk deals with others. Restorative people deal with their junk before their junk deals with others. When you begin to recognize your own need for restoration, friends, you become acutely aware of the junk in your life. Okay? When God begins to shine his light into your soul, you begin to realize all of a sudden, man, I've got some real issues here. I've got some dark patterns in my life. I've got some healthy, unhealthy tendencies and habits that I have cultivated for myself. I've got some major junk in my life that I'm not sure that I've fully dealt with. And listen, junk that you have not dealt with will often find its way in dealing with other people. In other words, the issues in your life, I've got news for you, are not just your issues. Your issues will, without a doubt, affect the people around you. And oftentimes, it'll be the people who are closest to you. And so Jesus says, instead of looking at the speck in your brother's eye, deal with your own log. Deal with your own junk first. He says, you hypocrite, first Take the log out of your own eye. And here's why this is important, friends. You cannot restore someone when you have not been restored yourself. You cannot help someone when you have not received help yourself. You see, all too often I see people trying to bring people to a place where they themselves have never been. It doesn't work that way. It cannot work that way. You can't take someone to a place that you've never been. That's partly why my wife and I are so deeply passionate when it comes to dealing with our junk. I remember during our four years of college, our mentors used to tell us, deal with as much of your crap as early as possible so that you're not living in your 50s and 60s and you're looking at the wake of your life and you're saying, oh my gosh, look at what my junk did in, the, in, in, in this track record of all my issues and all my stuff that I have not dealt with. And so all of our mentors would say, deal with your junk as early and as much as you can. That's why we're so passionate about dealing with our junk. Now, listen, I'm not saying that we're junk free. My wife Nicole and I are not perfect, close to it, but not perfect. You know, yeah. like we're, we're not junk free. Trust me, we've got our fair share of junk in the trunk. You know, like and I'm not talking about that kind of junk in the trunk. I'm talking about like junk that that we that people don't see. You all have that. You all got some junk in the trunk, if you know what I'm talking. You got some junk that like you got you, it's hidden. People don't see it. At least you think people don't see it. We all have junk in our lives like that. And if we're called to be a restorative people, friends, listen. We've got to be restored people. 
Do you hear me? If we want to be a restorative people, we've got to be restored people. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the areas in our lives, the ugly places, the hidden places, the dark places that no one sees, and allow God to do a work in there so that we can actually live as wholly restored people who then can restore other people. You can't restore people if you yourself have not been restored. Jesus says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your junk first before your junk deals with other people. At midweek on Wednesday nights here at ACF, we've been discussing this very topic in great detail. We spent time talking about our blind spots, right? The things that we don't see can be the very things that derails our walks with Jesus. We talked about some of the things that lay beneath the surface, things like the wounds of our past, the lies that we have believed over our time, uh, over our lifespan, certain sin patterns that have entangled us. When Jesus says, take the log out of your eye, he's saying, deal with all of that. Deal with your junk. Allow God to restore you in these areas so that you can then be a vessel, an agent of restoration in this world, which is actually the call of God on, on the people of God's lives. And so restorative people see their own need for restoration, and they deal with their junk first, and then finally, number three, restorative people know which battles to fight. Restorative people know which battles to fight. In verse five, Jesus says, First, go ahead and take the log of your own eye. We are, we've already established that. And then you will see clearly. I can see clearly now. All right, like you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, here, here's the problem for some of us. The problem for some of us is we just don't know which battles to fight. The problem is we often jump into the wrong battles. We want to restore people. We want to help people. We want to take the speck out of, out of our brother's eye. But we end up fighting the wrong battles along the way. You see, we often fight the battles of behavior as opposed for their hearts. The battle for behavior versus the battle for their hearts. And true restoration comes at the heart level, not the behavior level. You see, the great tragedy of judgmentalism is, is often rooted in behavior. Think about the last time you judged someone, okay? Every single one of us, don't play yourself, you're guilty, like we're all guilty of judging someone. Think about the last time you judged someone. Was it not rooted in someone's behavior? Like you saw a certain type of behavior, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't go well with what you were feeling, you weren't feeling it, and so like you, you cast a judgment upon that person. When we see a particular behavior we don't like, we become quick to judge. But if you were to take a moment to look at the heart of the person, all of a sudden we begin to gain a new perspective. This person we once demonized because of a particular behavior or action becomes humanized when we begin to see their hearts. That's why Jesus was always after people's hearts. You ever notice that? So much so that he would be caught hanging out with people with questionable behavior. People with questionable behavior. And so while everyone around him was judging him for hanging out with these types of cats around like, you know, prostitutes and tax collectors. And he's, he's having dinner and he's having dinner parties. Like he'd be down at like, you know, the bars and just kind of hanging out. And I'm not encouraging this. All right, just let me just clarify. Okay. In case you take the wrong message, but Jesus was hanging out. Here's the point. Hanging out with some questionable people. People with questionable behavior. Now listen, Jesus was able to ignore all the noise because he knew which battles to fight. 
He always bypassed people's behavior in order to get to their heart. Because here's what happens. You get to someone's heart, their behavior will follow. But sometimes we get caught up in fighting the wrong battles. You see, restored people go after people's hearts, not their behavior. And oftentimes, here's the heart reality. That battle, the battle for people's hearts, is often messier. It's often longer. It's often more challenging. At times, it's going to feel less rewarding. Because you don't see it. It's not instant. It's not immediate. Because the goal is, 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 is changing things that the human eye cannot see. But let me tell you, when you fight those battles, the battles for people's hearts, not their behaviors, I promise you, church, you are fighting the right battle. You're fighting the right battle. Because the goal is never to leave a person feeling judged. It's to feel them feeling restored. See, that's what it means to fight the right battles. It's clearly seeing, clearly seeing the battle for people's hearts. Let me address this one last thing before we bring this message to a close. Verse 6. What the heck are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 6, right? Do not give dogs what is holy. I mean, is that kibbles and bits? I mean, what, like, what, what is he talking about there? Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, how is this verse connected in any way to what Jesus was saying prior to it? Church, here's what Jesus is getting at here. Though a little harsh sounding, this is what he's saying. After all of this, after seeing your own need for restoration, after dealing with your own junk first, after identifying which battles to fight, which is the battle for people's hearts and not their behavior, after all of that, still, some people will not want to be restored. Some people's hearts will be so hardened and calloused that they won't want you to remove the speck from their eye. In those cases, Jesus' encouragement is clear. Move on. You've planted the seed. You've done your part. Now move on. Because there is a whole world of people waiting for the restored people of God to come bearing good news. And here's the hard reality. The hard reality is you may never see the restoration of this particular person. You're trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You've, you've done all that. Like you recognize your own need for restoration. You're dealing with your own junk first, right? Like and, and with all in mind, like we're to be restoring people, restoring people, right? And, and, and you're knowing which battles to fight your bat. You're fighting the battle for people's hearts and not just their behaviors. You're trying to refute this this towards judgmentalism and you're saying, no, no, I'm going I'm to fight for their hearts, not their behavior. After all of that, people will still reject you and you will never see the work of restoration in their lives. And so the best thing for you to do in those moments is to move on. Now, at first, you might think to yourself, boy, that just feels like cold-hearted. It's just like you just giving up on a person? I thought we were supposed to stick by each other, like, right? Like, what is it? It just feels like we're, no, 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 that's, that's not what this is about. In fact, I don't even hear that when I, when I hear these words. What I think is what an incredibly humbling reminder. What an incredibly humbling reminder 
that at the end of the day, the work of restoration is not my doing. I don't restore people. All I do is partner with the God of restoration. My job is to take my hand and put it in the hands of God and say, God, you do this thing, and I'm just going to be a vessel. I'm going to be, I'm going to be used by you in whatever way you see fit. At the end of the day, God is in the restoration business. He's the one doing this work today, not you, not me. And so the encouragement to all of us today is judge not. Judge not. But even more so than that, the invitation is, would you partner with God? In bringing the work of restoration and being a restorative people in the midst of a broken world. To restore that which is broken. That's the kingdom way. Amen, church. Can we move towards that?